This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment because science was on my side. Hey, everyone! Welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true, personal stories about science. I'm your host, Misha Gajewski, and it's been a while since I've talked to you. I missed you, but. Like our storytellers this week, I needed to get outside, you know, be in nature and do some healing. So just a few weeks ago, I got on a plane to go to the Yukon to do a five-day backcountry hiking trip in Tombstone Territorial Park. I walked up and down mountains for five days with a 50-pound pack on my back. I cried, I lost a toenail, and I ruined my knees for a few weeks. But there was this one moment where after three hours of literally clawing my way up a loose gravel slope of a mountain in the pouring rain, where I finally got to the top and the clouds cleared and the crystal blue lake in the valley glinted in the sun, that my shoulders dropped, my inner to-do list monologue was quiet, and all my worries just disappeared. I don't know if it's the trees, the fresh air, or the fact that while I'm hiking in the backcountry, I literally can't do anything but focus on the tasks I need to survive. But I crave that feeling of peace. And it's not just me who thinks that being in nature can be healing. There's a whole bunch of research behind it. Studies have found that time in nature, as long as people feel safe, is an antidote for stress. It can lower blood pressure and the stress hormone levels, reduce nervous system arousal, enhance immune system function, increase self-esteem, reduce anxiety, and improve mood. How cool is that? Anyway, both our stories this week explore the phenomenon of using nature as a catalyst for healing. Our first story is from John Aubert. He first performed this story online at our second Super Collider Story Slam in April 2021 but it was professionally recorded in John's home in Davis, California. The hour-long drive was silent, tense. I was angry. I was heartbroken. I was lost. This was definitely not the parenting experience I'd signed up for. We were once so close. Hiking companions, book buddies, fellow adventurers. And now it was all drifting away. Looking back at her in the rearview mirror, her teenage gaze seemed filled with disdain. Now, I always liked kids, but I wasn't remotely prepared for the depth of love, heartache, and emotional investment I would come to experience as a new father. To our dismay, parenting didn't start off so well for my wife Nancy and me, as Jenny landed in the NICU with breathing problems when she was born. The NICU, the Neonatal Intensive Care Unit. While we were grateful for the wonders of modern medical science, the whole experience was stressful and emotionally draining. 
The second night, sensing that my rock star wife was nearing complete exhaustion, I encouraged her to get some rest and assured her that I would wake up and be at the hospital for the scheduled 3 a.m. feeding, because that's how they roll in the NICU, whether we liked it or not. As I walked in, the friendly nurses looked at me quizzically and asked me what I was doing there. I'm here to take care of my little girl, I said with my newfound sense of paternal pride and responsibility. Sitting in that sterile room, holding her, giving her a bottle, gazing into her beautiful little face, all worry melted away. We were the only two souls in the universe. Thankfully, she made a full recovery. I poured myself into fatherhood. I took her hiking, read her book after book, and sang her songs at bedtime every night. When she was about six, I started to make up elaborate serialized bedtime stories about an adventurous little chihuahua named Minty. Just when I thought I couldn't come up with another installment, she'd say, Daddy, please, just one more. I adored that little girl, and she adored me. But little girls grow up. They become independent, and they need to distance themselves from their parents. My wife dealt with this so much better than me. She was just better at letting her grow up than I was. For me, it was death by a thousand cuts. Now, there's nothing remarkable or out of the ordinary about the evolution of our relationship. At some point, dads lose their luster, and a teenager just needs to find herself on her own terms. My rational brain understood that, but it was heartbreaking for me nonetheless. I missed my little girl. So that was the fragile landscape of our relationship as I looked back at my 13-year-old in the rearview mirror that morning, racing to catch a boat. We'd flown back to Ohio to join some of my wife's family on a grand summer road trip to Canada. We eventually made our way to a small village east of Quebec City on the St. Lawrence River. As a geography teacher and nature lover, I was beside myself. We rented a place overlooking the massive river. Eight poutine stood at the edge of a huge thundering waterfall, explored the northern hemisphere's most southerly fjord, ventured into a half-billion-year-old meteorite impact crater, and on and on. It was glorious. So good for the soul. At one point, I commiserated with my brother-in-law about teenager woes, and he said that his daughter, only a few years older than mine, hadn't spoken with him in two months. Not a single word. That scared the crap out of me. So the day comes that we all decide to pile in the car and go whale watching, and Jenny refuses to go, just as we're ready to drive away. We've come 3,000 miles and you just want to sit inside and stare at a screen? You've got to be kidding me, I said angrily. Are you trying to ruin everyone's vacation? I threw in just for good measure, instantly regretting it. Fortunately, my wife stepped in calmly and convinced her to come. My heart was heavy. After enduring that somber drive, we finally arrived at a small village situated roughly where the St. Lawrence River opens into the Atlantic Ocean. We opted for a Zodiac, where you're close to the water and actually have to suit up in foul weather gear to keep dry. Seven of us, kids and adults, 
climbed aboard and sped away for encounters unknown. It is awesome, magical. We see whales in the distance through the mist. Then a large pod of belugas just a hundred yards away. Then, not ten feet off the port side of the boat, I notice a ring of bubbles begin to rise out of the water. My heart starts to race. I can barely speak. Finally, I say, look, look, look. Just then, a massive humpback whale with her cavernous maw wide open rises from the water right in front of us, scooping up thousands of krill before rolling slowly onto her side and disappearing into the blue-black. It is unbelievable, an intense, emotional, deeply affecting experience. I look back to see everyone's reaction, and my eyes pause on Jenny, her face peering out of the tightly drawn hood of her parka. I don't know how, I don't know why, but in that moment I am instantly catapulted a decade into the past. Against all logic and reason, I am looking at the face of my precious little three-year-old, beaming with wonder and pure delight. As I gaze at her face, I am completely overcome with emotion, a paralyzing mix of fear, joy, bewilderment, and love. I am having an utterly terrifying and exquisitely beautiful break from reality. There she is, my little girl. I turn away and weep into the sea, realizing that She's been with me all along. Thank you. That was John O'Bear. John O'Bear is a professor of geography and environmental sciences at American River College in Sacramento, California. He is also a seasoned storyteller and has taken the stage at numerous moth story slams and has been a featured storyteller for Capital Storytelling, Six Feet Apart Productions, and Artists Standing Strong Together. Okay, before we continue with today's episode, a couple of reminders. We have shows coming up in New York, Vancouver, Western Massachusetts, Atlanta, and more this October. You can check out storycollider.org shows for tickets and more information. And if you'd like to learn more about how to tell a science story, check out storycollider.org education. We offer private workshops both online and in person for groups, and we offer public courses for individuals online as well. Also, for more updates and cool behind-the-story pictures and other awesome content, you should totally follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. Find us at Story Collider. And finally, if you're a fan of this podcast, and if you, like us, believe in the power these stories have to reveal the humanity behind science, to change our understanding of how science happens and who it belongs to, please consider donating to The Story Collider at storycollider.org donate. You can also sign up to support us on a monthly basis at patreon.com slash thestorycollider. Our Patreon supporters can receive an ad-free version of this podcast, as well as occasional bonus episodes and other gifts. We're so grateful to everyone who helps make our work possible. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Our second story is from Sarah Lucchini. It was performed at a sponsored show for the Skudik Institute in Winter Harbor, Maine, in June this year. I've got a 40-pound pack on my back, sweaty shoulder straps digging in, and freezing cold water rushing through my crocs as I step into the raging river. I've only just begun, and I'm already annoyed with myself. Why do I choose to spend my vacation time putting my body through the hell of backpacking 100 miles through Maine's wilderness? I could be relaxing on a beach with a drink. That would be lovely. It would be great if that was my idea of how to spend a vacation. But honestly, spending a week out in Maine's woods, hiking every day through dense forest and mountains, barely seeing any signs of human life, not having to shower for a week, and just living the simplicity of eat, sleep, hike, repeat. That's my idea of a good time. So here I am heading northbound through Maine's wilderness. And for those who don't know, the 100 mile wilderness is a 100 mile section of the Appalachian Trail that reaches just before the northern terminus of Mount Katahdin in Baxter State Park. It's known as the most rugged and remote section of the AT, which stretches from Georgia to Maine, and is the longest section without any intersecting towns, so resupplies are pretty tough. And at this point in time, I'd never done any backpacking before. Lots of hiking, but never any backpacking. But I figured, why not start with the most rugged and remote section of the AT? <laughs> I do love a good challenge, and for me, hiking has always been my favorite form of therapy, a way to quiet my mind, ease any racing thoughts, to prove to myself that I am capable and strong. So here I am, six miles in, 94 miles to go, facing my first river ford. And I'd also never forded a river before. I mean, rock hopped through stream, sure, but crossing a raging river with a heavy pack on my back that's just threatening to pull me in or throw me sideways. I mean, there's a good reason why everyone says, unclip your hip belt as you're crossing. Terrifying. But I'm in it now. I step forward slowly into the water, not taking a single step for granted easing forward, trying to navigate with my feet any possible dips or holes. I can't slip and fall in. I, I can't. If I do, if I do fall in, my gear will get soaked, and the next seven days will be soggy, miserable, and cold. 
or maybe even worse, I'll fall in, my gear will go flying down the rapids, I'll lose my tent, my 14-pound food bag, all my gear, I'll have to chase through the rapids to collect every last bit of gear so as to not leave a trace and also survive the next seven days, as I hope to do. So I ease forward slowly. The water already, even just a few steps in, is deep and crashing around me, already starting to throw my body side to side. And I step forward, and without looking up, I can feel the protective shadow of the tree canopy above me fall away, and a blast of sun hits my shoulders. It's so hot. But I realize in this moment, I've never been so focused, so present on everything that's going on around me. It's like everything I'm seeing and feeling in this moment, the water, the crashing rapids, the sun, that's all I'm focusing on. There's no thoughts of impending deadlines or work schedules or how my tone in that one email two years ago was probably weird or <laughs> that awkward thing I said at a party last week. My mind is present in this moment and I ease forward slowly, carefully. And then I'm just feeling this sun. I mean, being present in this moment means that all I can focus on is this heat, this sweltering heat. September in Maine, and it is so hot. And already, I'm starting to crave a slight comfort of home. Chocolate ice cream. That's what I want. I mean, I know that six miles on trail is too soon for hiker hunger to set in, but I am really craving this chocolate ice cream. Just digging into the carton, spooning around the edges where it's already melted and smooth. Ugh, that's what I'd kill for. And you know when you're craving something so intensely, you can basically taste it. In this moment, I can taste the chocolate ice cream. And then, for the first time since I've been on trail, my mind is suddenly transported out of this moment away from the river, from the rapids, from the threat of falling in, losing my gear, or not making it across. And suddenly, I'm back on my parents' couch with Allison, my big sister. There's a mushy carton of chocolate ice cream that sits between us, and Allison's digging in, licking the spoon, and laughing. Allison, my big sister, who always shamelessly ignored her lactose intolerance, usually to the dismay of those around her, naturally. And behind us from my dad's speakers, All Out of Love by Air Supply is playing loudly, and we're singing that ugly, cringy kind of singing where you know you sound awful, but you just don't care. And I'm standing in the water, in the rapids, crashing around me, but I can hear air supply, and I realize it's me. I'm singing. I'm all out of love. I'm so lost without you. <laughs> and I start to laugh at the hilarity of a song that truly does not fit the moment. I mean, if this was a movie, it would be the perfect song at the perfect moment. It would be a beautiful song to score this beautiful scene. It would not be air supply. <laughs> One more step forward, still singing one more ridiculous verse. And the water is rising now. I look below me and it's black, deep water, dark and foreboding. 
and it's crashing around me, throwing my body side to side, and I have to stand tall to keep the bottom of my pack from getting saturated and wet, but still maintaining my balance. But I can still see Allison's smile. I can see the little twinkle in her eye when she'd roll her eyes at me as I remind her, um, you know you're very lactose intolerant. <laughs> so I take another step forward, easing slowly still, still trying to anticipate any sudden holes or dips with my feet. And I'm focused on the water crashing around me, but in my mind, scenes from my parents' couch are playing on a loop. I can't seem to get the taste of chocolate ice cream off my tongue or the look of glee on Allison's face out of my head. So I take another step forward. And I realize the water is moving a little slower now. I'm no longer being thrown side to side. My legs are wet but exposed to the sun. And I look and I can see the shore, the other bank ahead of me, so close within reach. I look down and the water once black and dark now is clear and I can see the bottom. The rocks under my feet feel small, smoother, fewer jagged edges. And the water is moving slower. I take another step forward and I'm still hearing Allison's laugh. One more step and the water is easily lapping against the bank ahead of me. I'm so close. Am I actually gonna make it across? I take one more step and I'm out of the river. And I turn and I look at the rapids now behind me and I can still see Allison smile. And in that moment, I miss her. Allison died by suicide when she was 24 after a long battle with major depression. And, you know, everyone says that grief comes in waves. Well, I think it comes in crashing river rapids. Six days later, after that first river ford, and after many, many other river fords, many ramen bombs and bear hangs, and many, many miles, I crossed Abel Bridge in Baxter State Park, successfully completing the 100-mile wilderness, my first section hike of the Appalachian Trail. And staring up at Mount Katahdin in front of me, Allison wasn't with me to celebrate, but I did get the last of the chocolate ice cream at the campground store, so I think maybe she had a little something to do with that. Thank you. That was Sarah Lucchini. Sarah is a marketing specialist at Skudik Institute at Acadia National Park. Before that, she was a graphic designer, and in her free time, Sarah enjoys being out on the trails, hiking and biking, or paddleboarding at home with her cat, Murray. And just in case you were wondering, yes, Murray always wears a life vest. The Story Collider is so grateful to John and Sarah for sharing their stories with us. 
The Story Collider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, the Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast is produced by Aaron Barker, executive director and co-founder of The Story Collider, along with me, managing producer Misha Gajewski, and senior podcast editor Jen Chen, and with help from education director Lily B. Special thanks goes out to Story Collider's board and the rest of our staff, including managing director Anne-Marie Lonsdale, science advisory fellow Edith Gonzalez, and operations manager Lindsay Cooper, without whom none of this would be possible. The stories featured in today's episode were from shows produced by Ari Daniel and Nissa Greenberg and Devin Kajas, respectively. Our theme music is by Ghost, and next week we'll be back with stories about blending in. Until then, thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.